off. Blog Talk Radio. This is all about wine. The talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009. Featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically, what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around and the around. world. You know, we really have had some, some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Post your questions and comments during the live show on our Facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash allaboutwinecpr. Again, that's www.facebook.com forward slash all about wine and now all about wine is on there he is here's Ron alright bus people bus people are so happy now we are having just absolutely gorgeous weather yes Yep. Yeah, it's our it's our uh, our false spring because we know this our isn't hope. going to last. Yeah, that's it, true. It, we're going to get another coach now. Uh, you know, and and <laughs> so we know this isn't going to last. So this is our false spring. And it yeah. never seems to really get good weather until after the state fair, and then it oh, starts yeah. it starts getting better. But uh, so we're we're going to get some, bad, but still, I mean, the whole country is having a cold spell and it's below freezing just about everywhere and ice storms and all mm-hmm. that. And we're sitting down here, 82, I think we hit today here. And yeah. so, so the bus people are real thrilled and real happy. And, like 104 uh, in the car. So that was pretty good. 104 in the, in the car. So in the car. 104 the in the though. car. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. We're hitting whatever. Wherever they call it. Pulled outside and just bake when I get inside the car. Terrible. Yeah. Put it in Instead of roasting there all day long and let it just simmer. Mm-hmm. Have it ready when you get home. Um, That's right. Yeah. I, I was I was talking to um, actually the guys that were on the, the uh, cigar broadcast we did. Uh, wow, mm-hmm. a year ago, however long it was now. I think it was a year ago. Um, talking to them last night, we always get together and talk on Wednesday nights. And uh, talking about some of these cigar blogs that are going on. They said, well, this one's been going on for a long time, since 2015. And this one's been, you know, not all amateurs. You know, All About Wine has been on since 2009. And, <laughs> Live. You know, Live, live. and this is our anniversary month, actually, you know, February, Uh, or was it March? February, March. It's March, but I think we did a test, uh, we did a test in February sometime, but uh, the actual show started in March. Okay, Um, so so we got anniversary coming up next month, Mm -hmm. you know, from from 2009 until now, and Mm -hmm. uh, Cap, who, uh, one of the friends of the show said, has Mike been with you the whole time? I said, yeah, both of us have been on the show. He goes, that's amazing. Both of you stayed on the show together. Yeah. He, he, yep. said, he said, that's something. <laughs> I go, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, it's been no problem. Well, we I said, 
yeah. we don't have the funds to put an ad out for you know replacement. So you know we kind of have to. <laughs> <laughs> A low budget broadcast. You know? Low budget. <laughs> how, much is, how much is that ad going to cost? Are you kidding yeah. me? All right, we'll just. Oh we'll my just, God! No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, blog call radio messes up for a week. We have to get in touch with them. Be sure to give us credit. I mean, we're <laughs> we're that tight on the budget. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. So that's a good point. They're like this. <laughs> How long is your show that uh, you missed out on? Uh, it was uh, two, four hours that, that we missed out on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you only do That's four broadcasts a month, but still. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the one we couldn't do was supposed to be four hours long. Pay up. That's right. Give us credit for a whole month here. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was. Yeah. Uh, we, we're going to be celebrating, uh, let's see, what is it, 14 mm-hmm. years? Fourteen, I think. Yeah. Yeah, nine, two thousand nine. I was afraid we have to do math. Uh, I know. Mm -hmm. I let me get the calculator from the bottom of the screen here and pull it up. Um, fourteen. I got fifteen. You got fifteen? No, I got fourteen. Yeah, fourteen years. That's what I got. Fourteen. Yeah. Yeah. Cross that out. Yeah, I was doing new math. You probably did old math. So you got it faster than me. Oh yeah, I have an abacus, uh, an old uh, Chinese abacus, or uh, came from. I, I use yeah. that. I can, yeah. I use it. It was using a slide drill. I know how to use a slide drill. I was using oh, a slide. Really? Wow! Yeah. I haven't seen those in a long time. That's yeah. amazing. Wow. Those are fun. Yeah. Yeah. Scientific. Uh, well, you got computers now, which take took away the abacus and the slide drill, and so. Oh, did it? Oh, yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> Use <Yeah>. that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look at that! It has a calculator on it. <laughs> uh, look at this. <laughs> With numbers wow. and everything. <laughs> yeah. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sure no. does. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I, um, I learned how to use the slide rule, so I had to do the slide rule to figure it out. And I came up with. 14 years also. So it, you know, yeah, we must be right. We checked out. Yep. Oh, um, hmm. All right. well, here we are. No guests tonight. Place. You're just going to have to listen to me for a while here. Hmm. And I, I've been talking up the show. I think we have some new listeners out there. I hope we have some new listeners. If we do have new listeners, welcome to the show. New listeners. Yeah. Um, I yeah, absolutely. was um, playing golf before I had my finger surgery, uh, actually Wednesday, was it? Yeah, Wednesday. I had my th- surgery last Thursday. And so the Wednesday before I had my surgery, I wanted to squeeze in one more round of golf. And so I, uh, uh, Charlie, who I normally golf with, and I went out and they paired us up with this other couple and started to talk about the fact that uh, they like wine. I told them about their podcast and all that stuff and gave them a card. And they said they would tune in and listen. They they enjoy about wine. They have been to France and Portugal and Spain and uh, oh. Italy. Yeah, oh, yeah. They've they've done some major traveling over to the world wine areas. And so I yeah. obviously told them I was very, very jealous. And uh, yeah. But uh, they said oh, they were going to have 
They could also yeah. be a guest, uh, possibly with the, yeah, the I was, travels. I was thinking about that too. You know, yeah. you know, tell us about some of the areas you traveled to and all that. Yeah. And I thought about that too. Yeah. Uh, hmm. They are snowbirds. They're from uh, where'd they say? Uh, oh, geez, I, Michigan. Maybe that little that little nub that goes up in Michigan there. That uh, mm. when you look I at a map. Yeah. And yeah. or not Michigan, Minnesota. That little nub that goes up on Minnesota uh into Canada. I don't know what it's for or why it does it, but it, you look at a map and you'll see that. I think they were up close to that area there where they they said they get like three hundred and forty inches of snow a year or something like and ridiculous. Three hundred like oh, I know and I don't know how much they said they get lots of oh, okay. snow. <laughs> yeah. So but uh yeah, uh if you guys are listening you know, send me a message on all about wine one oh one at Gmail and we'll get you mm-hmm. on the show and let you tell us about your trips overseas. That'd be fun. Yeah. So I you know, I should have asked him, but you know, when you're playing golf it was my turn to hit the ball and then Oh well your turn you you just sort of have bits and pieces of the conversation and it's easy to lose train of thought and start talking about something yeah. else. That's what happened. Yeah. So so, uh, uh, got things to talk about to you tonight. Uh, nothing or sorry. Uh, engineer, I have to share this with Bobby out there. Hand swelled up like you take a rubber glove and you blow it up like a balloon. That's what her left hand looked like. It was unbelievably large. Went, she had a week's worth of antibiotics. Nothing worked. Went to the doctor. Doctor said, go to the hospital. We're going to have to give you intravenous uh, antibiotics. Went to the hospital. They cut off her ring, her, her wedding ring, because it was like swollen up so much, almost covered it up. But they cut off her wedding ring, gave her IVs, said, we need to send you to a hand specialist. So they sent her to Blake Hospital in Bradenton. Now, I'm in Newport Ritchie. We went to Trinity Hospital in Newport Ritchie, and they put her in an ambulance and drove her down to Blake Hospital in Bradenton. That is like a two-hour and 15-minute ride down there. It's over the Sunshine Skyway, way down south. Uh, long trip. She was down there for, well, Monday through, and she got home this afternoon. They did surgery on her hand, cleaned it out, packed it, everything. Don't know what it is. They still don't know. Uh, They did cultures on it. Nothing grew on the cultures. They don't know what it is. They don't know what happened to her. uh, She's got a couple tendons that is loose. She's got to go back and have those fixed. Uh, She's got bruises all over her body from where they've been sticking IVs and blood tests and all that in her everywhere. But she's home. She got home today and she is doing better. So uh, just a little quick update on the engineer there. So uh, actually my wife, what's going on with her? So between her bad hand and my bad finger, we actually got one good set of hands uh, and that's it so but 
if uh, I talk for a while here about different things, but then if I finish with the things I want to talk about, I might get off early here because I'm going to have to uh, still take care of her and the house and her mom and all that. So let me jump into stuff here. Let's see. The first thing I want to talk about is something I saw in the San Francisco Chronicle last Sunday. Give them credit for this. An article by Jess Lander. You know, give full credit for the byline. And the headline that caught me on this was, and it's a wine article, California wineries can't make enough of this suddenly popular grape. And I looked at it, and it says Sauvignon Blanc has emerged as one of the fastest-growing white wine varietals in the United States. And I was surprised, to say the least, Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc's been around forever. I've always told people if they want to get a good Sauvignon Blanc, get a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc, because New Zealand puts out some great Sauvignon Blancs. I particularly like Monkey Bay. Uh, It's a reasonably priced, very good Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blancs, if you are not familiar with the the grape and the varietal, tends to be crisp, light, a little zesty, if you will. Uh, it's uh, the acid tends to to tongue a little bit, and it goes great with lots of different foods and stuff. If you're looking for white wine, uh, the article. And I will read you some, and I will talk about some here. Read you simply because I don't want to lose the full thought of the line. But it says that the uh, uh, non-sparkling wine varietal Sauvignon Blanc in 2022 has grown 1.5% according to U.S. Wine Industry Report. Which is not a lot, but in 2020, it grew by 9.5%. So it has been growing. 2022, it slowed down a little bit. 2022 is hard on a lot of grape growth. Uh, Chardonnay owns about 15% of the wine market right now. The amount that's sold to retailers and wholesalers and, and people. Chardonnay is about 15% of the whole market, and Sauvignon Blanc is setting at about 6%. So it's not going to catch up with Chardonnay, but it is definitely rising in uh, sales uh, tremendously because of the Christmas and all that. People tend to be getting away from the heavy, oaky, buttery Chardonnays and looking at something Excuse me. Looking at something that is a little bit fruitier, a little bit acid, uh, acidic, and uh, that gives a, a little bite. And some people like that bite. Uh, they talked to uh, a co-owner of Allison Smith's story, and she said that pre-sale of the wine is ahead for wholesale and milling list orders. Uh, which has never been done before. She says, probably your number one wine that people ask about when they walk in the door. Last year, she said they had to decline wholesale orders because they didn't have enough of it. 
and she, that was the first time it's ever happened in her career. So Sauvignon Blanc is catching on, and it's reasonably priced most of the time too. This is something you've got to consider. Uh, another owner, co-owner of Napa Valley's Honing Vineyards and Winery, uh, Stephanie Honing says Sauvignon Blanc was so popular, restaurants and stores were sold out for four months. While the winery uh, typically releases the wine in March or April, the 22 vintage went straight to distributors after bottling in November. Uh, it, it was, they had nothing, and so they wanted to get it out to them. It is uh, a big contrast to the 80s, and I remember the 70s in, in California, uh, Sauvignon Blanc was just sort of a an afterthought if you went out there. I I've enjoyed Sauvignon Blanc for years and uh, started. I think the one that got me started on Sauvignon Blanc was Robert Mondavi uh, in the uh, '60s and in early '70s. Uh, the perception of Sauvignon Blanc was uh, a cheap white wine, if you will. He had an idea. He rebranded it and called it Fumé Blanc. And everybody's going, what is this? Well, the Fumé Blanc was just Mondavi renaming the Sauvignon Blanc, uh, a style of Sauvignon Blanc that's produced by the uh, French Lower Valley, uh, the Puy Fumé. And so he picked up the Fumé and called it Fumé Blanc. Uh, although they have increased in price and in stature, they still label the Sauvignon Blancs as Fumé Blancs, and the reserve styles now sell for $95 and above. It makes you shake a little bit of sugar. I mean, $95 for a Fumé Blanc, but he has always made an excellent Sauvignon Blanc there. Uh, the Article says that the true Sauvignon Blanc revolution took over about four, uh, uh, over the last 20 years. It said it was pushed along with the anything but Chardonnay movement, and I'm sure all of you have heard that the ABC movement, anything but Chardonnay, or the ABC sometimes anything but Cabernet. But when that anything but Chardonnay movement came along, people were looking at something else, and uh, they turned to Sauvignon Blanc. Wineries loved it. They started to come out with more and more Sauvignon Blancs. And when they did that, obviously the prices jumped up a little bit. And it got a little crazy. Screaming Eagle makes a Colt Cabernet brand uh a small amount of Colt Cabernet, which sells for a little over a thousand dollars a bottle. Now, okay, we can all shiver about that too. The Sauvignon Blanc has that kind of racy character and yet really good acidity and a beautiful balance. Uh, said, uh, well, this is Beth Novak Milliken from Spotswood Winery. Spotswood was one of the first Napa estates to produce wine in 1984, uh, the Sauvignon Blanc, inspired by the French styles like Puy Fumé and Saint-Cyr. Uh, 
the Sauvignon Blancs are often partially fermented and then aged in oak barrels or concrete as opposed to stainless steel to uh, give a little bit roundness to it, uh, more complexity to it as it ages doing that. And uh, the stainless steel and, and uh, are the uh, oak and the concrete uh, add some structure to it, um, a, a full mouthfeel. And you can tell the difference between Sauvignon Blancs that are aged in stainless steel and those that are aged in lump oak concrete. There, there definitely is a difference in their taste there. So give them a try. They usually say on the bottom what they are. Uh, New Zealand, here the article goes on to say, has always had easy drinking and affordably priced Sauvignon Blancs. Uh, Cloudy Bay is one they recommend. Uh, Kim Crawford, Oyster Bay, and like I say, uh, uh, Monkey Bay, uh, were all good selling Sauvignon Blancs back, uh, well, in this last year, uh, back, this last year in 2022. Uh, they, uh, said that the 20-somethings, the Generation Z, is, uh, really, caught on to the Sauvignon Blanc. They seem to be worn out from the Chardonnay profile, the oaky, buttery, big Chardonnay, and looking for something that's lighter, something that's fruitier, something that has that uh, little acidic bite, and the Sauvignon Blanc does fill that that need there. Uh, they also, uh, the price point of Sauvignon Blanc, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, uh, is starting to grow up and grapes uh, prices on the rise and it's starting to put it out of reach for the millennials and Gen Z's. Um, according to the latest grape crush out of California, the cost of Sauvignon Blanc per ton, and like I've explained before, we buy and sell grapes by the ton in the business. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Sauvignon Blanc price per tongue rose by 7.8% in uh, from 2020 to, to now. And in Napa Valley, it's risen by 20% the last three years. And part of that is because of how popular it is became. Uh, the uh, wineries are paying more. Let's see, I had some prices here. Oh, here we go. Uh, the drought, the fires, all this stuff has also contributed to the prices because there are not as many. Uh, Mas Masican, Masican, I guess M A S I M A S S I C A N Masican Winery hmm. owner Dan Petroski who is paying as much as $4,000 for a ton of Sauvignon Blanc in Napa, which is up from 2,800 just five years ago, said he recently received no fruit from a vineyard that typically produces 10 tons from the two acres he's contracted for. So there's one of your problems. It's uh, fires, drought, everything has really taken its toll on grapes out there. And the limited supply and the rising costs are starting to 
become a factor for some of these wineries when they're trying to do Sauvignon Blanc. And they're getting it from other areas, which is stopping them from stamping the Napa Valley uh, name on the label. But, you know, I always wonder if that really is that important for most people. Uh, so, wineries don't have their own Sauvignon Blanc. The supply for the battle for the get them is going to be tough, uh, said Milliken. He believes it's going to ultimately be better for the category as a whole, but it's going to affect the cost overall. Excuse me. He says, higher grape prices mean more people will plant it and plant it in better soils because they know they'll get a return for it. And that's a good thing. So, Sauvignon Blanc, if you are not a fan, then try it. There are some great ones out there. I, uh, I've i found some all over, although Napa's got the big name. But try the New Zealand ones, too. They're going to be a lot cheaper than what you're going to find out in Napa, as is everything. Yeah, I mean, let's admit that. So, uh, Sauvignon Blanc, good, good, great. Valentine's Day is coming up in a week and a half. This article came out in... Well, actually, Wine Folly. I need to get Meredith on this show. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Madeline, I said Meredith. Madeline. Madeline Puckett is the co-founder and of Wine Folly, and she's got herself the James Beard Award-winning author uh, and Wine Communicator of the Year and uh, all sorts of stuff under name and she does wine folly and does a lot of stuff if you don't follow wine folly do it it's it's free to follow it w-i-n-e-f-o-l-l-y.com winefolly.com just sign up for the uh emails there is all sorts of stuff she offers that uh posters and articles and classes and just a, a, a gamut of things associated with wine. I've found an unbelievable amount of information on there over the years that I've not seen at other places. So she's very good about doing it. And she has charts, which sometimes it makes it easier to understand things if you have a chart in front of you as opposed to just reading it. And so, uh, but she's got wine, a wine one-on-one course, uh, free with the purchase of Wine Folly Magnum Edition book and and stuff like that. So there's lots of stuff that she offers, but uh, a couple things here that I I just saw on this one. And and this is the one, uh, The Realist Guide to Keto Wine. And I'm going, keto wine. Uh, it, it, many wines have little to no carbohydrates. And that's what keto is, is carbs. You get away from the carbs. This is good news because carbs are the nemesis of the ketosis diet. And it's important to note, however, that, that not all wines are keto-friendly. She says, let's figure out which wines to buy and which ones to avoid when following a ketosis-driven diet. Plus, how much should you really be drinking on a diet anyway? 
Okay, now, ideally, she says, a wine for a keto diet should be below 13.5% alcohol by volume, which is pretty easy to do. Most of them are, unless you get some real heavy rads. Most of them is going to be below that. And also, little to no residual sugar. And you can look that up on the bottle, and it'll tell you. Now, recommended wines for keto are Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Chardonnay, among others. That's Being that said, many aren't 100% dry. Many wines contain residual sugar. Okay, and that's the amount of sugar that's left in there. Uh, and she has a chart here showing dry whites and off-dry whites and sweet wines. And sweet wines jump up in the carbs per gram uh, substantially. So you know you should avoid those. And, and in fact, she explains residual sugar. I've talked about it before, but let me just go through it again here. Uh, answer the question, she says, before grapes ferment into wine, they are sugary. Little yeast, including uh, Saccharomyces uh, cerevisiae, I don't know how that's pronounced, gobble up grape sugar and produce alcohol. Sometimes, though, the winemaker stops the yeast from eating all the sugar. Why would they do such a thing? Well, as it happens, leaving some residual sugar in dry wine can increase the likability factor. There you go. Many wines marketed as dry have anywhere from 0 to 30 grams per liter of residual sugar. Surprisingly, they taste dry. A Franciscan estate Cabernet Sauvignon from Napa Valley is 13.5% alcohol by volume, 3 grams per liter residual sugar, 110 calories, and 0.45 grams of carbs. So not all of them with that alcohol have no residual sugar. Like Cape Vineyard Chardonnay, very popular wine, 13.5 alcohol by volume, 6 grams a liter of residual sugar, 112 calories and 0.9 gram carb. Really, if you're on a keto diet, that's pretty high. So you need to watch it. And then she mentions a reasoning here that a dry reasoning, uh, Dr. Lucen, 2016 Moselle, 12.5 alcohol by volume, 7 grams per liter of residual sugar. And that's up there now. 105 calories and 1 gram of carbs. So these are things that you need to look out for and need to avoid when you're doing a keto diet. Uh, what wines to avoid, she said, stay below that 13.5. Whites with higher alcohol like Syrah, Pinotage, Zimadol, Grenache are higher in alcohol. And stay away from the sweet wines, Moscato, Port, dessert wines, and stuff like that. One to two drinks. No more than two per day for men and no more than one per day for women. That is the recommendation, period. Not just on the keto diet, but that is the recommendation, period. Uh, 
don't blame you for having more. I usually do more than two a day anyway, but that is the recommendation. Uh, people metabolize wine differently. Women metabolize it quicker than men. Uh, drink wine. You know, I mean, the, the keto diet is great. Moderation, and that applies to not just the drinks, but to food and to everything else on a keto diet. Watch your cows, uh, your carbs, and you're going to be good on keto diet. But exercise and eat right. And the key word there is exercise. And how many people do that? They, they you know, so. But I saw that on the keto diet, uh, that her little thing on the keto diet there. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit. Also, like I say, Valentine's Day coming up here in a week. And what is a week from Monday? I think it is, 14th. What wine goes with chocolate? And this is, was an interesting article. Again, this is one Madeline put together. I need to get her on the show. I really need to contact her and get her on the show. Uh, white chocolate really isn't chocolate because it doesn't have cocoa in it. Okay, just it does have cocoa fat, but it doesn't have cocoa in it. So that sort of edges around it being chocolate. But white chocolate. Recommended wines. She suggests rosé, port, ice wine, muscat, orange muscat, moscato di Asti, sweet touquet, vintage port, Labrusco, and bruschetta di Ancai. Now, all those are very sweet wines, very, very sweet wines. And she also said that it tastes uh, great with um, blueberries and cream and good with macadamia nuts and stuff like that. But white chocolate, very sweet wines. Milk chocolate, and she states, a truly great milk chocolate will appease even the most ardent dark chocolate lover. For instance, do you know that ethro ganache on the inside of truffles is usually half cream and chocolate? The cream adds a little extra fat, so you will find it working better with more wines than dark chocolate. Recommended wines for milk chocolate. Muscatel de Cetable, Montella Morellis, Sherry, Cream Sherry, Rastu, Aged Vintage Port, and Rutherglen Muscat. She says, the chocolate effect. I've served several dinners, uh, diners who were drinking a Shiraz with chocolate cake. They loved it. It's possible that the addition of starches and fat to a chocolate cake may work with more dry-style red wines. Possibly. I can see it. Uh, she has a little, little side box here. It says, what is the best way to enjoy chocolate? Uh Ticho, T-C-H-O, chocolate, recommends that you break your chocolate bar into small, bite-sized pieces. Listen for the snap. The crispier the break, the better tempered your chocolate is. Don't chew your chocolate. Just place it on your tongue and let it melt in. That is a recommendation by 
uh, TCHO chocolates in San Francisco. Caramel chocolate. Caramel adds sweet salinity to chocolate. Caramel chocolates are the perfect harmony of sweet, salty, fat, and bitter. Pairing can be somewhat difficult, but try with PX Sherry, Vinsanto, Cream Sherry, 20-year tawny port, Muscatel de Cetable, Madeira, Tildo Sherry, and complimentary wine pairing Moscato Diosti, Demisec Champagne, uh, which is a sweet champagne, Asti Spamanti, and Lambrusco. So those are ones with the caramel chocolate. And chocolate, well, here you go, chocolate dip, strawberries, and wine, the ultimate sexy chocolate dessert. Chocolate dipped strawberries actually works very well with a sweet sparkling rosé. And we just talked a couple of weeks ago to a uh, champagne distributor producer uh, who goes around and finds champagnes, and they were offering rosé champagnes, and that would go also very well with chocolate-dipped strawberries. So keep that in mind. You still have uh, 12 days to order this stuff and get it into you. Dark chocolate. A true dark chocolate has a minimum of 35% cocoa solids, but the numbers get even higher than that. There are 99% dark chocolate balls out there that will dominate you. Dark chocolates typically don't like to share palate space with other bitter, non-sweet things, like a high tannin Malverde. So recommended, Vinsanto, Port, Late Harvest Zinfandel, Vignoles, uh, and Murray, and believe it or not, Shinato. And I have to say I am not familiar with Shinato. Let me click on this and see. Uh, a sweet vermouth. Okay, that's why I'm not familiar with it because I'm not a vermouth drinker. So, uh, sweet vermouth. A story about dark chocolate. I was in the winery. This was, uh, well, a few years back now. So we've been closed. Uh, I was in the winery one day. Uh, a young lady came in. And uh, well, it was actually it was toward the evening. I was I was getting close to closing. It was in the winter because it was dark, and we closed at six. And she was there about five, and it was it was dark. She came in. She wanted to taste red wines, and so I pulled out. At the time, we had uh, four reds, and I pulled out the red wines. And she reached in her purse and she grabbed this piece of paper. That was folded up, uh, parchment-type paper. Opened it up, and there was these pieces of high cocoa dark chocolate in there. And she took her, reached in her purse and got a little knife and shaved off some pieces of this chunk of dark chocolate and tried it with each wine and offered me the chocolate try also. And without hesitation, I did so. Wow, what a combination. It was a 
high cocoa chocolate. She said uh, she'd just gotten it that day. I can't remember where, someplace in Tampa or St. Pete. But it was fantastic. It was the complement of the wines we had. We had Cabernet, a Carmenere, a Zinfandel, and uh, our Plantation Red, which was a little bit lighter uh, than the other three. But boy, what what a taste treat in the mouth. It was just like a party in the mouth. It was a festival in the mouth. It was great. Each one of them had some unique characters and unique flavors and stuff. And it was really fantastic. So, uh, dark chocolate and red wines, I don't have a problem with at all because they are very, very good. I suppose you can go with uh, ports and stuff, but I like that dryness of a red with uh, the high cocoa. I mean, it just gives you a unique taste in the mouth. And one last one here that I want to share with you that she wrote. Well, a couple of my guests. There's what are flavored chocolates? There are many chocolate flavorings out there: mint, cherry, spices like chili and ginger. And when you're attempting to do flavored uh, chocolate, then try a port, a lighter port. She suggests don't get anything uh, that's going to let those flavors in the chocolates overpower it. And uh, she suggests a port which would help control that. And one other thing, peanut butter cups. Peanut butter cups are chocolate also. And uh, as she says, peanut butter cups are serious business. Uh, a nutty, with, with all the nutty chocolates and almonds and hazelnuts and peanuts, uh, look for wine that accentuates the nutty flavors. And she suggests a sherry, uh, a Madeira, uh, a Matildo, sherry, a Russo, sherry, or Madeira. Uh, but sherries with a peanut butter cup. I will never know simply because I don't like peanut butter cups. I I like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, and different, uh, but I'm not a big, big peanut butter fan. So a peanut butter cup is not my go-to chocolate. So, But if you do, sherries are the ones to go with that. All right. So uh, let me see. Oh, that's not. Seven wine trends to look for in the new year. I saw this, and it was just like, you know, okay. But there's a couple here I wanted to comment on. It's, this is out of, I think, oh yeah, Managers Wine Business International. They have a lot of great articles in that, too. And the problem is you read two articles, then it pops up and says, you know, uh, Oh, they got a thing here for free subscription, probably for like two weeks, and then you have to have a credit card on file, and they automatically renew it. But it says there are other deeper trends which aren't as easy to see, and these are seven of them that uh, this writer, Felicity Carter, who is uh, the wine writer for uh, Manager, says, the decline of social media. Uh, the usage of Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram usage is falling. 
And she suggests that the age of social media is ending. And because of that, you're not going to get as much help from social media, uh, from wineries posting stuff and keeping you informed of what they're doing, what's going on. I don't know if I agree with that or not. You know, I, yeah, I go, I don't, well, I go on social media, but not a whole lot. I don't post a lot of things on there. I'll find something every once in a while that I find hilarious and I might share it. But most of the time I'm off. And if I find stuff about wine and all that that really catches my eye, I will put it out there. But there's, she's saying that the wineries are going to actually s- slow down on that stuff. Um, I guess with the stuff going on with social media out there, I can understand that. Second one, she says, wine tourism is set to grow, and it is growing. Unbelievable. Uh, world tourists want to mingle with one another at airports, and they're health conscious, and uh, travel has exploded, even with the difficulties of the airports and canceled flights and all sorts of stuff going on. It's the thing that's starting to happen, China is starting to travel. People are traveling to China, and China is traveling away. That <coughs> excuse me. Uh, bookings for the recent lunar New Year holiday soared by 540% uh, in Chinese households. Oh, wow, uh, it's up, and it's all over the world. Uh, Dubai recently dropped its punishing 30% tax on alcohol, which is good for tourism, too. That's going to help, you know, bring people there. Number three, young people take to fine wine. And she's talking about the youngest group, the Gen, Gen Zs and Gen Ys. Uh, it's their, she's saying that they're drinking a little bit more expensive wine. They got more of a disposable income, and they're using it on fine wine, which is great. I think it's fantastic. If they do that, then it's going to increase their awareness of it and all that. And you know, listen to us, people. We'll help you. Fewer listings in the on trade. Now, this is just a. Uh, uh, Restaurants replace stocks and stuff like this. This is uh, Michelin-starred restaurants are closing their doors and, and uh, different ones are opening up. It's just it's talking about the trade of that. Number five, sommeliers are becoming more important. Probably. Uh, they are the frontline people telling the stories to the audience uh, seated in front of them. Uh, who are actually seeking a glass or a bottle of wine. So restaurants feel that the pay structure of some of these is probably is worth working into their budgets because they really can upsell and upgrade um, a lot of the wine sales if they have people sitting there talking to them. La Place de Borg. Dough is growing in importance. This is the next one. Uh, the influence of Bordeaux and uh, what they are doing around the world and their trends and stuff is in growing in importance. And that's true. I mean, but Bordeaux has always been that 
cutting edge type thing. And the last one, neo-prohibitionism. Like this caught my eye. Says in the past two to three years, a new niche has been born in the U.S. These so-called better-for-you wines that sell themselves as being healthier types of wine. Some offer all the flavor with lower sugar, while others make a point of touting their no pesticide, no additives credentials. So far, this isn't a trend that's taken off elsewhere. But a related trend has, sobriety. Now, this is interesting. In both the U.S. and the U.K., growing numbers of people are taking the dry January challenge. I didn't hear about that. While newspapers and magazines are producing a flood of sobriety content. You think Europe is safe? Think again. As The Guardian reported in late December 2022, France is leading the way in the alcohol-free drinks boom. And the most people likely to give up alcohol are those in their 20s and 30s, despite the curious case of the young fine wine buyers outlined above. As the recent Silicon Valley report made clear, young people aren't following their elders up the wine curve, adapting it as they mature as generations before them did. As we all know, prohibition was a massive failure, but that's because it was politically imposed. What's happening now is that people are willingly adopting it for the sake of better sleep, a clearer head, and an Instagram feed that won't come back to haunt them. Well, I was so drunk. Look at this picture. Yeah, we've all seen those. This isn't a trend that will go away by ignoring it or worse, denouncing people doing dry January. It's something that wine trade needs to take very, very seriously. Hmm, dry January, I never heard of that trend. Did you, Mike? Have you heard anything about that? No, that's the first. Yeah, me too. Well, well, I don't know. One more thing here before we go tonight is, this is out of Forbes magazine, uh, written by, uh, what's her name, Tia Barrett. She works at Mich- Michelin-starred SMA, E-S-M-E, with a little mark above the last E, in London's Lincoln Park neighborhood. It's a 50-strong wine list and is considered as the restaurant's vibrant food menu, boosting predominantly women OC producers in addition to wineries with a philanthropic bent. Now, I read this article twice, trying to find out what B-I-P-O-C stood for. It's black, something, something, something. I I don't know. I I can't figure out what the letters stand for. Uh, The article here is about black-owned wineries. And since this is Black History Month, I figured I'd throw this out at you. Uh, February, always being Black History Month. So uh, this is how we're going to contribute to Black History Month ourselves. Uh, But EIPOC, I don't know. Uh, 
Mike, there's something you can look up for us. B-I-P-O-C. Uh, yep. You can find something. I think I, I remember it from a while back uh, during my studies of what definitions and meanings of, of uh, acronyms and stuff. Uh, uh -huh. And it, it's, from what I remember, it means uh, it stands for Black, Indigenous, and People of Color. Ah, Yes. Well, that makes sense. No from, wonder I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, you, yeah, very good. I'm glad. I'm glad that popped up in your memory banks there. Yeah, yeah. yeah it just came up. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> that would be something that would, you know, would tend to be one that would be remembered. I think black, indigenous, and people of color. Hmm. BIPOC. All right. Um, but this is, uh, she's the executive beverage director, and she is also uh, born in the, what did they say here, uh, Jamaica. Yeah, so, but she is very knowledgeable in wines and in the BIPOC uh, category. And she chose 10, 10, 8, 8 superb black-owned wines to try right now. The percentage of black-owned wineries is extremely small. The percentage of women-owned wineries is extremely small. And you throw owned wineries against that and it looks like the women have a lot compared to it's unbelievable uh i had a site here i don't know where it is now but i had a site of a uh black owned winery and i sent them a couple of emails trying to get them to be guests on the show and they never responded to me so i uh gave up after, I don't know, after four emails or five emails, I usually give up if people don't respond. But these are her list of eight different wines and her little description of them. First one, three by Wade Sellers, Chenin Blanc, 2021, $18. She states, I was introduced to this wine by George Walker. He's a personality that lives, eats, and breathes all things at Wade Cellars. He naturally and infectiously draws you in with the passion he has. This Chenin Blanc, a grape that does have nearly as much recognition at, on it uh, on its own as it should, usually seen as a blending grape, this example shows the right amount of body and brightness to crush on a hot day or show up with a zesty seafood pasta of sorts. So three by Wade Sellers. Michael Lavelle, Aris Zimendel, 2018. This is $23. I think that's who I am. Yes, this is the one. Michael Lavelle Winery. This wine is produced by four of the youngest black men who look to change the scope of wine, art, philanthropy, and how all-around businesses ran. Okay, now this is the group uh, that I tried to get a hold of. I sent them 
emails trying to get them on. I never heard a response. I am impressed. I am always impressed by what they produce as it is always with intention. Everyone that they partner with has a face and a name. That intention easily gets lost when you start to produce wine at a consistently elevated level that they are. To continue their support of the arts, they partnered with Chicago artist Raspi Rivera to create their wine label fund to donate a portion of their proceeds to give back. Not a common practice for a label this young. And that's why I tried to get a hold of them because I read that. Uh, We'll try again. Uh, Hopefully I will get a response. La Fete de Rosé. $27. This rosé is a classic for a hot summer day. Dry with aromas of red fruit and with just enough texture to have more than one bottle by the pool or in someone's backyard. It's fresh and drinkable as well as dynamic enough that many bars here in Chicago use their wine as a vessel for cocktails, rosés, and spritzes alike. There you go. House of Brown Chardonnay out of Napa Valley, $19. What most people are unaware of during the winemaking process is that eggs are quite frequent, are used quite frequently, making wines not vegan-friendly before, and so egg-wise they're actually used. Many of the wines that I generally like to select are organic, biodynamic, or even sustainably produced, but few wines can boost being vegan. vegan. So, uh, House of Brown Chardonnay, Napa Valley. Theopolis Vineyards, Theopatra's Cuvée Blanc, 2021, $25. I'm going I'm to look up these wineries here, by the way, and maybe I can get somebody on the show as a guest this month. Out of the box, this wine screams food, Barrett says. It pretty much goes with any of your lighter seafood courses, to spicy and rich. To see Chardonnay outside of the traditional high oak representation and find a wine showing all of its bright fruit characters is so unexpected and worth trying. It doesn't say it's a Chardonnay. It says a Cuvée Blanc, so she's saying Chardonnay. Non Vinci's La Pen Roule Brut Champagne, $64. Bottle I had somewhere once and I have not been able to find and source it again, but it exists. 100% Mignon Champagne with its toasty and lemony notes and rich body is the perfect complement to any party. Also good to note that this was produced by the first black female producer in Reims, France. Love corkscrew head over heels Riesling. Love corkscrew head over heels Riesling. $18. I use this as a replacement for diners who do not like the viscosity of traditional dessert wines. With bitter chocolate or a strong cheese, the citrus and tropical fruit notes make this bottle a great way to end the night. Oslina. Uh, Cabernet Sauvignon, 2020, 
South Africa does not get enough recognition in the world, Barrett says. This wine is definitely a product of its environment, and I would enjoy this as a cook-a-little-drink-a-little bottle. With stewed fruits and high tannins, my goal would be to deglaze a lamb shank with this while drinking a glass or two. The last one she suggests, Avec Drinks, A-V-E-C. Not a wine, but worth a shout-out as the uh, Denetrius Charlemagne created this zero-sugar beverage in the middle of COVID and has made it her mission to have people hear what she is doing. Flexible enough to be used as a mixture or a non-alcoholic beverage on its own. I consume AVEC quite frequently. A-V-E-C is pronounced. I will look these up. I, I'll see if I can't find these wineries and look them up and maybe I can get someone on the show this month. Uh, looks like there's one in South Africa and one in France. I don't think we'll be able to get those. But, but I'll see what I can do. Maybe I can get a response from Michael Lavelle. I still get their emails, too. So we are okay. got another one in um, the can. I remember a couple of things about dry January when you mentioned that. It just uh, popped in. I was like, oh, I popped do remember that. Good. It did. Uh, it is a uh, campaign delivered by Alcohol Change UK where people sign up to abstain from alcohol for the month of January. I'm not reading this, but uh, just from my I know. Uh, You're you're good at that. I know. Recollection is just 100% tonight. Um, Always. The term term, uh, dry January is a registered trademark with Alcohol Change UK. Yeah. And was first registered in 2014. Wow. Um, The... Yeah, the campaign was first delivered in 2013 by Alcohol Concern, and 2023 marks the 10th anniversary of the campaign. So, uh, what else? Uh, it's been around for 10 years, and we've never heard of it. Dry yeah. January. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a thing. What, 30 days uh, without alcohol? Uh, 31. January's got 31. Oh, that's true. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know why it's dirty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is, this is uh, health benefits of no alcohol challenge. Uh, no, I don't. I don't agree with the. No, gotta have something. Yeah, um, yeah I know. So, yeah, I know. That's, yeah. yeah. So, there we go. Uh, yeah. Ten just, years, and I never heard of it. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and we've been on we've been on longer than that. We haven't heard heard anything about it. I, I guess never heard anything. Nobody's ever said. We haven't seen any articles or any. Of this first time I've ever seen anything written about it. Wow. Yeah. Odd. How can it be um, catching on in the United States if we've never heard about it? I mean, that's <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> uh, can't figure that out. Well, uh, we, there we will go. we'll put the show to rest for tonight. It's uh, February second. If you're listening to us in archives, and if uh, you want to join us live next week, next Thursday, February the 9th, 2023, please do so. We are on at 7 p.m. Eastern time, Eastern U.S. time. So um, join us and uh, we'd like to Standard chat with time. you. And, and chat. Yes, Eastern over in Standard. See, I get those mixed up. I don't. I yeah, never know when daylight is in Standard. It's EST as opposed to EDT. EST. Okay. EST. Well, good. Yeah. Well, Eastern Standard Time, um, just 
look us up on uh, Blog Talk Radio or on our website, allaboutwinebtr.com. That's a website, so check it out. Take care. Uh, have a great uh, weekend. Be safe and uh, drink wine. We'll see you uh, next next uh, Thursday. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine with your host, Ron. For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archive shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine. Oh, turn that off. I'm leaving. That's it. Mm. Mm.